Welcome back, all my brothers and sisters, to another episode of Crossing the Jordan. This is series 18 on the topic of salvation, and this is episode 23 on the topic and the reality of Satan. So let's orient ourselves on where we are in this series. If you back up on starting in episode one of this series one, we've talked about the gospel. We've talked about what is Jesus, why is God on a cross. We talked about how Jesus and himself uh, recreates and he brings into right order and right relationship. We've talked about taste and seeing, that it's a personal uh, invitation. We've talked about grace and how it's an unearned free gift of God. We've talked about a saving faith. We've talked about faith in general and faith alone. We've talked about um, how we're saved and judged by love. We've talked about conscience and how it can it can accuse or excuse us at judgment. We've talked about heaven. We've talked about hell. We've talked about purgatory. We've talked about that question, are you saved? Is it a one-time event or is it continuing uh, throughout your entire life? We've talked about free will, predestination, and the sovereignty of God and how all those work together. We've talked about the reality of sin, the slavery of humanity. We've talked about penance and mortification. We've talked about indulgences. And then we talked about suffering the last time. And if you haven't listened to any of those episodes, I'd highly recommend you go do that. But also, specifically, uh, just a highlight on one thing that I mentioned in the last episode on the topic of suffering, on how suffering came into the world from the fall. This is not part of the original part of God's plan. He does not delight in the destruction of the living. And we can't over-spiritualize everything, but Satan does use physical uh, suffering as an objective evil directly from the fall. And it's identified as a work of Satan, as we see Jesus call it in Luke 13 about the, the woman of Abraham who's been bound by Satan for 18 years, couldn't stand up straight. So Jesus identifies this woman's suffering with the works of Satan. St. Paul himself in 2 Corinthians 12, when that beautiful passage where he's, he, uh, Jesus responds to him that, My grace is sufficient for you, for my, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And St. Paul goes on to respond by saying, I will all the more gladly boast of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That entire context was St. Paul asking Jesus to remove this thorn in the flesh. He was suffering from something. We don't know if it was physical or a temptation or whatever it may have been, but he asked for it to be removed. And you know what he identifies it as? As a messenger of Satan. So he identifies his suffering as the work of Satan. And yet God at least allows it to happen because Jesus is bringing a greater good out of it. And so he allows that that to happen, but for the greater glory, for the greater uh, working of Jesus to be manifested in humanity. Um, so we're going to be talking about that person who we're just going to be, who we're just talking about Satan today. And so just to give a layout, we're first going to talk about, um, the true enemy. We're going to talk about Satan's identity, his motives, his strategies, his tactics, his goals. We're going to talk about what Jesus has done about it. We're going to talk about, um, how human beings still have free wills. Um, even after, uh, learning about all this, this power of Satan and his work, We're going to talk about uh, briefly the rise of Satanism in our country. Um, It's pretty rampant here in Detroit. And we're also going to lastly talk about um, possessions because possessions are real and happening all the time. And so uh, the first quote that I want to share as we hop right into our series right before talking about who the true enemy is. There was a talk that, this is at least my knowledge, I couldn't find it in writing, but I've heard this before, is that there was a point in the church in the last 50 years when JP2 was Pope, so probably in the late 70s or 80s. And we still hear this today, and I'm sure it's all throughout church history, but there was a tendency for even leaders in the church and people to begin to believe that Satan is not actually real. 
he is this this Satan figure is literally just a representation of the evil that exists. But you know what JP2's response to that is if you do not believe in the devil, then you do not believe in the gospel. Because Satan is the main adversary in this story. <laughs> he is the main one. If we do not understand the devil, his identity, his motive, his strategy, his tactics, his goals, then one, we're at, we are in a bad place because we don't know the uh, the fire the fiery darts of the enemy and what he wants to throw at us in order to destroy it. But also, we don't understand the works of Jesus. So he is Satan is real, and we're gonna see this very clearly in Scripture and throughout church history and happening today. Satan is very real, and he is the true enemy. And as I believe it was C.S. Lewis, he said that the devil he wants either two things. He wants us to either believe that he doesn't exist or he wants us to be infatuated by him. And so the Christian worldview is right in this right in this middle part where we see him, we see the enemy, we see his works and every single thing that we're going to talk about. We know that he exists, but we know that Jesus is victorious over him. And uh, our, our enemy is not with flesh and blood. And our culture right now and our secular religion is is moving into this this new and this uh, alternative religion. All these separate movements, all of them have good things in them. They're trying to build up people who are oppressed or there's injustices. But what typically, not typically, actually, nearly every single one of them do, every single one of them basically want to pinpoint other human beings as the issue. And so they cancel culture. They shut down. They they turn off. They want to shut them up. And this is actually supposed to be a time where everyone's supposed to be inclusive and kind and accepting and tolerant. And yet those typically those same organizations are only tolerant to their own position. And so they pinpoint other human beings and they are saying that we have salvation really. Like we can save the oppressors because we're the victim we're the victims. Or I'm sorry, we can't save the oppressors. We can save the victims. And so they pinpoint other human beings as the oppressors, as the issue, as the main problem. And they give this idea that whatever we're proclaiming at this time is salvation, basically. Like we can redeem you. We can save you if you just come along with our party. And typically people in the secular world are very worried about religion imposing their their teachings on them. Well, Catholic teaching actually says that it has to be free will anyway, so you can't impose anything. It's just proposing. But And so... Christianity, Catholicism is by far the most inclusive because we want every single person a part of the body of Christ. And the morals are rooted in natural law, so every single person can get it just by talking about philosophy and logic and then coming to know the truth about Jesus, but it has to be free will. And so we don't we don't impose, we just propose, and it is all-inclusive. Every single person is called and God desires and objectively wants every single person in the Catholic Church. And so uh, we, we don't cancel. We don't shut off. We, we dialogue. We talk. And we will answer every single question. We will take up every single debate. We will take up any single um, question that, or struggle that somebody has about the faith. Because Christianity is all-inclusive, but the claims of Jesus is exclusive, right? Meaning that he is the only way, truth, and the life. But also, he is calling every single person to salvation, to the fullness of joy and love that he can give. So what the point is, is that 
in the world, and many Christians are falling prey to this as well, is that we are beginning to see people contending with flesh and blood as their main enemy. So we have to pinpoint uh, human human beings as the enemy. And as Christians, we do not do that. <laughs> the real enemy is, as Ephesians 6.12, St. Paul says, we are not contending with flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness, wickedness in the heavenly places. And so this whole frame, this whole context of talking about Satan and fallen angels are the real enemy, but also they love to use and work through human ideologies and human minds. And so we do dialogue with human beings. We do fight against injustices that human beings do because we, and we'll learn about this, human beings all still have free will. And so we are battling against principalities and powers and rulers of this present darkness and this wickedness in heavenly places that are brought on by evil ideologies. And so, um, but Christianity is even the person who I'm dialoguing with, even the person who has these evil ideologies or something horrible that they believe in, and I'm dialoguing with them. That person that I'm talking to is made in the image and likeness of God and called to communion with him and his church and uh, with all the saints. And so we are to love that human being. We're actually precisely talking to that human being, not to win an argument, but to love them and bring them into love, bring them into the victory, bring them into this new kingdom of the beloved son that has the fullness of redemption and the fullness of joy and life that only Jesus can give. It's their ideologies that we're talking about. So we have to separate when we're talking about uh, people or whatever, the person from the, I- the idea, the person from the idea. So we're attacking and we're talking about and we're dialoguing and we're trying to present like what that, I, that ideology is false. It's a false narrative and it's destruction and it's not for your good. And But it's coming from a place out of love for that person that we're talking to. It's just like St. Paul said, how we are called to destroy strongholds and to put on the, the mind of Christ, which means to hold every single thought, our thought, captive to Christ. I hope that makes sense. And actually, Archbishop Gomez, he's the Archbishop in Los Angeles and also the president of the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. I'm going to have a link in the show notes about his latest uh, letter um, on reflections on the church and America's new religions. That goes pretty in-depth in this. And Matt Frad on Pints with Aquinas also had a recording where he read that letter and had some commentary too. So I'll have it in there too if you just want to listen to uh, what Archbishop Gomez had to say. So let's get into Satan's identity. He is a creature of God. He is not, he is infinitely beneath God. God could snap his fingers and he'd be totally done. He is a creature of God. In Genesis 3, 1, it says that the serpent was the most cunning of the creatures made by God. And so, and all throughout um, Jewish uh, tradition and revelation, Jews identified the serpent as a symbol of Satan. And this actually becomes even the forefront throughout salvation history as it continues on. And then Jesus, the time that the son of man takes on, well, the eternal son takes on human flesh. Jesus fully exposes Satan as the real enemy. And even in the book of Revelation, that serpent that was identified in Genesis is now a dragon in Revelation because he's fully exposed. He's not this, uh, like we don't, we can't identify him. No, uh, Jesus has fully exposed his works. And so he is a creature of God. And this creature of God is as described in uh, in the Old Testament, is a fallen angel. So he has created angels. Angels are pure spirits. They're the, the majestic, huge, majestic creatures. And he was uh, considered to be like the angel of light. So he was a very, very high 
angel created in glory. And just like all other creatures and all of, all of God's creation, it originally was good. Good. <laughs> and in fact, even when we talk about evil, some people, and including myself, I used to think this way, is like evil is a, like a, like a transcendent reality. No, goodness is a transcendent reality. Evil is when there is a lack of good. And so the demon fallen angels and evil ideologies, they lack good even though that the actions in themselves, they are very real, it's bit, but they're lacking good and that's what makes them evil. And so again, all of creation and all of God's creatures are good. And yet Satan and these angels decided, and we're going to get into this in a second, out of envy for God's plan for humanity, rebels and they fall. So they make a decision. Angels make made a decision at the beginning of time when they were created. Are they going to choose to serve God's plan or are they going to rebel? And so Satan and these fallen angels rebel against God's plan. And the reason that that Satan is not an enemy for God is because God is infinite. He's the creator versus a creature who is finite. He could be snapped out of existence like that. And he's why he's an enemy with us is because he wants to destroy the image of God and his creatures that God created to be in fully communion with us. We're body and souls. And God loves to, he loves humanity to glorify us, to give us his divine life. And Satan hated this. And so he rebelled. And he is very powerful as well. Jesus himself in John 12, 31 calls him the ruler of this world. St. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that he is the God of this world. And again, St. Paul in Ephesians 2, 2 says Satan is the prince of the powers. And so he has dominion over this broken world. Why? Because what came in through his temptation is sin and death. The power of sin and death. And we talked about this in the last Always More Wednesday episode of uh, Dead to Sin Sinners. So the power and the reality of sin that came into the world and the, the wages of sin is death. And why is death here and why is destruction here? Is because originally the, the works of Satan. And so... That's his identity, creature of God and the ruler of this world, God of this world, prince of the powers of this world, this broken world. And so what is his motive? In Wisdom uh, chapter 2, verses 23 through 24, it says that out of envy of the devil, death entered into the world. And so envy is worse than jealousy. Jealousy is like, ah, oh, dang, that's, that's, that'd be great to have that too. But envy is sadness and anger over someone's good. So out of envy, and out of that envy was God's plan for you, God's plan for humanity, God's plan that he would create this creature, this visible, tangible creature called human beings, and be called to be not only the image of God, but also in this his rationality and his beauty, and to reflect his goodness and truth and beauty, but to actually be lifted up into, into the divine life, to be consumed in the life of the Holy Trinity, which is a perfect love. And so... Satan hates this idea that humanity would share that divine life. And so out of envy, sin, he lies, and sin and death enter into the world. And so what does he do? He enters into a full deception uh, against humanity in order to damage the image of God in them and to damage the image of God of who we believe God to be as human beings. And so what does he do? Instead of us being free, he puts us into slavery. 
instead of us having this beautiful dignity that God gave, gave us, he degrades us. So his works are slavery and degradation. So let's talk about his strategies. In the New Testament, over 50 times, he is, the devil is called Satan or the devil. Satan means accuser. So he accuses us. He constantly tells us we're wrong. And the devil. Devil means divider. So he divides. So his primary strategy is deception about God. God is not your loving father. God is your adversary. You can be happier apart from God. So he lies to us. We see that right in the beginning. He tells Adam and Eve, you, Surely if you eat this, you will not die. You will be like God and you'll know good from evil. <laughs> you, they were already made in the image of God. They could have full reign on everything. They could eat everything. And this obviously, that, that imagery is, is, is symbolic, but it's a real reality that they were given dominion over, over everything. Adam and Eve. And Satan lies. He deceives. God is lying to you. If you eat this, you will not die. <laughs> You'll know good from evil. Okay. So that's his strategy, is to accuse us, to divide us, and to deceive us about God's goodness. So what are his tactics? What are the things that he uses? He accuses, so he tells us after we fall, something like, um, God's not going to forgive you. You can't go back. You're too broken. You're, you should be ashamed of yourself. He accuses us. And he also lies to us, as we said. He deceives us. He lies to us. He divides us. He doesn't want us to be united. He tempts us, so he offers these, have this, look at that. It'd be okay if you did this. He discourages us, where if we're moving on in, in virtue, he discourages. And he also flatters. This last one might be confusing, but he flatters us. Because what does flattering mean? It's like to say, like, you deserve it. And so the devil will sometimes flatter us, meaning like, well, you've been through so much. You can look at this pornography. You can get drunk tonight. Like, you've been through so much. He flatters you. He flatters us. <laughs> and so he accuses, he lies, he divides, he tempts, he discourages, and he flatters. This is truly uh, a, a part of the 14 rules of discernment of spirits of St. Ignatius of Loyola versus consolation and desolation and the enemies and the, the spirit of God and the spirit of the flesh devil in the world. And this is what it is. If you feel accused or lied to or divided or tempted or discouraged or flattered into rationalizing with sin, that is the, the voice and the work of the devil and part of our broken humanity. But uh, the opposite of those are encouragement, truth, unity, love, encourages and strengthens and builds up. Those are all things of God. So if you feel those things, and repentance also, uh, if you feel those things, that is the work of God. That is the work of grace. And so those are his tactics. His goal, his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. This is what Jesus says in John 10.10 10 about, about his, the devil's uh, goals. Steal. He wants to steal your dignity. He wants to kill. He wants to kill the life of God in us. And he wants to destroy. He wants to destroy any work of God, which is primarily us, but also the work of the gospel, the church, he, the family, especially, I mean, all over the world. The ideologies that have expanded rapidly since the 70s, but also in this past like few years, he wants to destroy 
the family, a husband, a wife, and the family unit. And so these are the identity, motive, strategies, tactics, and the goal of the, the true enemy, which is Satan and his fallen demons. And so what happens when, so this is the primary reason that Jesus hops on the scene. And so, like I mentioned before, God could have snapped Satan out of reality or he could have removed his, his, his dominion, his power over this world. And that's probably a question that people are thinking right now. But even in a greater way, the eternal creator, eternal second person of the blessed Trinity, the eternal word, the eternal son, instead of just snapping him out of existence, he took on human flesh. The one thing that we could offer him, it says that for a, a body that we have, we have made for him, the one thing we could offer him is our humanity. And what is Satan's work? He wants to destroy the image of God in humanity. He wants to destroy the goodness, the dignity, the love, the goodness in humanity. And so Jesus takes on this human flesh. So he basically comes in to the boxing ring with two hands tied behind his back to fight with the enemy. He comes with the very uh, weapon in his human flesh, the very weapon that is Satan's um, entire goal to kill, steal, and destroy. And so Jesus, in 1 John 3, 8, he says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Mark 1.24, a man with an unclean spirit cried out to Jesus, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So God himself takes on human flesh and to do what? Destroy the works of the devil. And the, to answer this demon's question, yes, to come to destroy you and the works of the devil, which is sin and death. John 12, 31, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. So he comes in judgment of this world and the ruler of this world, Satan, is going to be cast out. His power is going to be cast out for those in the body of Christ. John 14, 30 through 31, Jesus says, for the ruler of this world is coming. He's talking about Satan. This is at his last supper before his passion. The ruler of this world is coming, but he has no power over me. He has no power over me. Jesus, <laughs> the eternal son with even human flesh, he, the Satan has no power over him. Jesus baits the devil with his humanity and he destroys him with his divinity. And Jesus explains this beautifully also in Luke chapter 11, this is in the section starting in verse 14 where it's Jesus and Beelzebul. So they're claiming that he has a demon and yet he's casting out demons. And so he starts in verse 20 that says this, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the kingdom of God breaking in casts out demons and he is the king of the kingdom. And so he casts out demons. And this is what he says in verse 21, starting in verse 21. When a strong man, he's referring to the devil, fully armed, guards his own palace, the world, his goods are in peace. But when one stronger than he, the one stronger than he is Jesus, assails him and overcomes him, so Jesus overcomes the devil, Jesus, he, takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. 
And so this palace is the world. The goods are us. So Satan has dominion over us through his works of sin and death. And Jesus is the stronger man that assails him and overcomes the devil and binds him and divides his spoil, his goods, which are us. And we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness over the dominion of Satan, sin, and death. And Jesus transfers us into the kingdom of light and the kingdom of the beloved son who receives everything good from God. In Wisdom 18.15, this is a beautiful Old Testament prophetic passage about Jesus. It says, Your all-powerful word leaped from heaven, from the royal throne, into the midst of the land that was doomed, a stern warrior. Jesus is this stern warrior. He is this all-powerful word. He is the one on the royal throne. He is the one that leaped from that place to come into this midst of this doomed land that is filled with sin and death that came from the deception and the works of the devil. Colossians 2.15, St. Paul says, He, Jesus, disarmed the principalities and power and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in him. In his humanity, he triumphs over the principalities and power and makes a public spectacle and example of the works of Satan. 1 Peter 5.8, St. Peter says to us, Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary of the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The devil is always going to be that cunning serpent that wants to sneak in a lie, to sneak in a discouragement, to flatter, to accuse, to divide, to tempt us, to discourage us. And I've heard uh, Father Mike Schmitz talk about this before. It's very interesting that St. Peter calls the devil this roaring lion. And in the animal kingdom, the, the lions, they would fight for who is going to be the most powerful between another man and a man. Um, like one of the younger bucks wants to step up and say like, no, I'm taking over this now. They wouldn't kill each other. They would fight and they would basically take off the other one's testicles. So they would basically demasculine the the other one in order to say, I'm the, I'm the real king now of this, of this uh, lion kingdom. And so what is Satan's primary work that he's doing right now is destroying our sexuality. He wants to say, just do it anytime you want. And he actually, out of that, makes a mockery of it because it's so good. He, and it's so glorious, the, the sexual act, the beautiful union of a man and a wife, and he wants to destroy that. And so he offers pornography. He offers all of these alternatives. He offers all these things. Eh, Just do it. It's okay. It's not a big deal. And so he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he's demasculating a lot of men. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, St. Paul says that Jesus, he delivered us from the dominion of darkness. Remember, Satan is the the God of this world, the the prince of the powers. And Jesus has transferred us into the kingdom of darkness of God's beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And I love this, uh, just came across this this morning from an email. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. This is St. Paul talking to Timothy, his young bishop that he ordained. And he's telling, he's basically, because Satan's work is to lie to us as well, right? So he lies. And so it really is a battle against uh, ideologies. And this is why Jesus adds in, that to love your God, not just with your, your strength and your, your heart and your soul, 
uh, like it says in the Old Testament, but Jesus adds in the mind to love your God with your whole mind because it really is a battle of ideologies. To be transformed by the renewal of your mind, to not be conformed to this world, to hold every single thought captive to Christ. And so St. Paul here and Timothy, telling Timothy as a young bishop, he says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone, an apt teacher, forbearing, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant that they will repent and come to know the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so St. Paul, in this just a few sentences, talks about how we are captured by the snare of the devil, and to know truth is to be set free, to, be, to escape that snare of the devil, to know truth, because the truth will set us free, as Jesus says, right? And so Jesus destroys the works of the devil, and he wants to do that in us. And just these last few things, we're going to talk about free will, Satanism, and possessions really quick. We still have free will as human beings. So we can't over-spiritualize every single thing and say, oh, it's the devil. But we can for sure start with, we can at least say that this all, this brokenness of this world came from deception and us as human beings believing in a lie. Being deceived and believing in a lie. And so we can't over-spiritualize everything. Every single human person is has free will. So we also cannot give the devil too much credit. <laughs> we have to have a balanced view that the devil is real. He lies. He does all these things that we talked about, but also he uses human beings that freely choose to believe in these things and they believe in evil ideologies and fa- things that are false and develop false narratives about the purpose of being a human, the purpose of whatever they're doing, their identity, and we continue in this world to seek all these things. And so he uses human minds and his institutions as instruments to expand his lies and works against humanity that out of envy for us, out of envy for us, he wants to destroy the image of God in humans, not only in ourselves, but also destroy how we view God in our minds. And so we, like as we said at the very beginning, we dialogue, we talk about ideologies, and but the person that we're talking to is not the enemy. Satan and the fallen angels are the real enemy and the ideologies that follow along from them. And that's infecting humanity. So much so that Satanism has probably been around for a long time, but it is expanding and very prevalent in our, in our country. And I'm sure there's actually a lot of people that may be doing that out of kind of like a mockery to religion. Um, but it's very real. And some people really do um, uh, perform satanic rituals and worship Satan and talk to him and uh, are possessed by him. And, and when I say possessed, I mean it in the way of like their mind is captivated by him. We'll talk about possessions here in a moment that everyone's probably thinking of when I say possession, but people, their ideologies, their their lives are captivated by him. And it's very real and it's very powerful. And, the, and one of the things that they do is they perform black masses. What do they do? They destroy the Eucharist. This is the reality of the presence of Jesus, is that they, they make a mockery of it, but also they literally want to destroy Eucharistic hosts. Um, there's been stories about how uh, Satanists wanted to steal the Eucharist, and as they were running out of the, the church or leaving the church property, all of a sudden the Eucharist became super heavy <laughs> and it would just drop. Um, so, uh, so, and they just want to destroy the image of God in us who is fully redeemed by Jesus. 
And so even the Satanists themselves, as we said, they, the human being is not our enemy. Like we're, I, we want to love Satanists. I want to tell that the Satanist that I'm thinking of right now. I love you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. It's the person that you're working for, the things that you believe that's coming from him that actually has you in slavery and degraded. Why would you degrade yourself? <laughs> you have so much dignity, so much good, so much beauty, so much truth. And like the one that you're seeking, your heart longs for, you're still seeking good. Even when you say all these crazy things, you're still seeking good as a human being. And the good is coming from God. And the, the principles and the things believed are completely contradictory and undermining of themselves. And this is the work of Satan, is that he'll present truth in a crooked way. He is sly. He's cunning, right? He doesn't just tell us out flat out lies because, well, maybe we'd still believe them now, but like most people won't believe it, but he'll actually present some truth and twist it and make it into a lie, a false good. And then we get to the point of, I believe it's in Isaiah, that we call good things bad and bad good. And so uh, Satan, Satanism and is real, especially here in Detroit. But what a lot of people uh, correlate with it are people that wear upside down crosses, upside down crosses. And this, when I was in college, would look at and I'm like, reminds me of Satan. And uh, but now in the Christian view, honestly, even when I see the upside down cross, of course, I'm like, okay, I know who they're trying to portray. But as Christians, we can't be scared <laughs> because the, really the upside down cross just reminds me now as the power of the love of God. Because think of Peter who was up, crucified upside down. You think about other disciples throughout church history that were crucified upside down. This is God's love. This is Jesus's power in a human being destroying the works of the devil, <laughs> destroying the works that they're trying to present with this upside down cross. They're trying to make a mockery of Jesus. And yet that mockery of Jesus is an image of Peter and the other disciples and specifically Peter once denied Jesus and now by the power of the Holy Spirit and out of perfect love for other human beings to proclaim the truth and perfect love of Jesus, perfect love of the church. He, by the by full grace, is willing to die crucified upside down on a cross. So this is the power of the love of God that defeats Satan, hell, sin, and death. And so even their symbol that portrays Satan is a defeated symbol. <laughs> and possessions. Now we'll talk about a little bit about possessions. So possessions are very real. So right now, even in America, there is on average one uh, real possession that's happening at least uh, an average of one of real possession happening in every diocese at any given time. And so when Jesus steps onto the scene, as we mentioned, he drives out demons. And what does the church do? They drive out demons. Um, and that's what Jesus said in Mark 16, that they will lay the hands, hands on the sick and they'll cast out demons and they will, they'll lay the hands on the sick and they will recover. And so, uh, but also as the church expanded throughout these last 2000 years, there would be at the beginning of, into a new culture, into a new world, uh, there would be pagan cultures, right? And so there would actually be a ton of possessions. And so there'd be a lot of exorcisms. And then they would decrease as it became more and more Christian. And now we're living in a post-Christian world. And guess what? Exorcisms are on the rise <laughs> because people are like, no, they, they'll hear about Jesus. Jesus typically isn't new to anybody. 
yet they willingly deny. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist is, is this denial of Jesus, this denial that he came in the flesh to save us and the denial of God's truth. And so uh, exorcisms are on the rise. And so exorcisms are very real. Um, possessions are very real. <laughs> and possessions or like very serious demonic oppression usually happens because not only like we talked about, like, uh, you know, people might deny Jesus, but also they might get into things like the occult. They open up doors to de- to the demonic and the occult is seeking power uh, apart from apart from a relationship with God where all good things flow from. And so this is like the new age movement and Reiki and all of these things that are in the world right now and on the rise. And people are opening them up to fallen angels, to demons, because it's a thing uh, rooted in Eastern mythicism where they're worshiping false gods and those false gods that they tend to worship, they don't know this, but are demons. (laughs) And so they open up doors and, but they also have free will to invite all that in. And so it is always by the person's free will. The person still has free will. Um, and, and so the normal way to combat this is frequenting the sacraments, people living in communion with Jesus and his church and uh, going to confession in the Eucharist. Those are the most powerful means to, uh, you know, ha- have evil out of your life. But people allow that go in. And, you know, uh, I heard a uh, exorcist priest talk about this before about how he gave this whole talk at like a, I don't know if it's a college campus or something but a girl came up to him and she said I do all that stuff I'm not possessed and he said well the devil doesn't need to possess somebody he already controls because all of those things are of the demonic and therefore he's still being able to control through these ideologies so people can still also freely choose into this and have open doors to this horrible stuff and never experience like evil demonic manifestations, but their life is marked by depression, anxiety, um, this false uh, identity and this thing. They have to get the right energy or whatever it might be. Their their whole lives are attached to this. Um, And they think things that are contrary to the natural law or um, things about the family and marriage and all these things. Um, And so the open doors really happen and possessions can happen from it, but also it can just be very subtle. And the devil presents and we, we take the bait. And then we continue to develop that, that thought life and bad habits that are contrary to the good and uh, what is in line with evil ideologies. And the process of determining uh, a possession is actually very long. Like you, it's not like in the movies how like this family just invites this priest over and he goes and this crazy stuff happens. That's like, it's a long process because these people, it's not like, it's 24 seven. These people are like that. There's people that are out there in the world who are walking around and at nighttime or in certain circumstances, they will manifest in crazy ways. They'll speak blasphemies. They'll speaking in different languages. They'll be speaking uh, in different voices. They'll be, um, and they'll have like superhuman power. They'll be able to lift up stuff. Like this little girl can lift up a bed or whatever. Um, that they would show, obviously things that are like that. But even to get to that point, even when they manifest that, you know what the church does? They go to, typically, I, my understanding is they would even go to secular psychologists because there are instances, and when I talk about uh, instances of psychology issues, I don't think there's anything in psychology that would say, oh, it's just, uh, you know, this um, this thing that's in their brain that is letting them lift up a bed or speaking like that. That's typically very clear that it's demonic possession, at least oppression. But 
they'll first see like the like people will say I hear voices or whatever. They'll first go to a psychologist. They might they might just need mental health ish, uh, healing, you know. Um, and the church does that because Jesus did that. And Jesus does that. But uh, possessions will be uh, a long process to determine. Okay, we are dealing with something supernatural and evil. And so exorcisms are a right of the church, meaning that the the authority in that is invested in very specific people. It's not anybody can do a full-on possession. Now, we can all cast out demons, and I'll get into that in a second. In prayer ministry, we've seen uh, demonic manifestations, but it wasn't full-on possession. But when it is full-on possession, it's very specific people in the church. And who is it? Every single bishop has their authority and their very office as an successor, an successor of the apostles. They have that authority. Every single bishop can do it. But typically they will delegate to one or a few priests in the diocese. So every single diocese has at least one exorcist, which starts with the bishop. But typically the bishop will delegate. A lot of times we don't hear about this stuff because they want to keep it private because like that's that could be very embarrassing to a family or like it's very personal and private to a family. So they're not going to try to do that. And also they're not trying to have... Uh, people just make a mockery of it or call, or like call up all the time for everything it needs to be real you know so uh the church has uh, it's a right of the church and it only can be done in a full possession a full exorcism can will only can only be done by a bishop or a priest that's delegated and obviously trained and that is a calling you can look up on like youtube of like exorcist priests telling their stories and everything like that and one of them in particular uh, was on Matt Frad's show. He never thought of being an exorcist priest, but his bishop asked him to go to Rome. And there he met the the chief uh, exorcist in Rome. And he went on he went with him to do exorcisms. And now he's an exorcist priest and he's seen crazy stuff. He said some of the craziest stuff he's seen are people levitating and they're speaking blasphemies. And like, this is also the power of the church because right before they need to go, they go to confession, they pray, they do all these things um, to protect themselves. Because if they don't, if they have sin on their, their lives, the, the demon will actually speak out and uh, when will like mock the priest who has sins or the people in there, they'll the, the demon will speak their sins out loud. Um, um, so anyhow, so it's the power of the sacraments for one, but it's the power of the bishop and the priest. And one of the stories he said is like this person started levitating. He just kept praying. It's a rite of the church. He doesn't do anything else. He just keeps, keeps reading. He has the Eucharist with them and holy water and, and, and holy images. And he just put the hand on this person's forehead and brought them down to bed and just kept, kept praying. The person was totally delivered and he went and got ice cream after that, he said. <laughs> so it's very real. And throughout history, even actually very recent history, people have converted to the Catholic Church because they've seen the reality of the power of of exorcisms that are done only by the authority of the Catholic Church. So in the Middle East, there will be Muslims and there will be demonic manifestations. Who do they come to? Catholic, the Catholic Church. There will be uh, Protestants, uh, pastors that go in and they can't do anything. The, the demon will actually mock them. There's a story of a family who grew up in a non-Catholic Christian church, they had uh, horrible, actually really bad demonic manifestations like animals were being killed and stuff at their house. And so these uh, pastors would try to come to the house and they couldn't even get inside. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't do it. <laughs> and so they, this person saw in a dream to go to this Catholic church. And so he goes to this Catholic church. And he's like, 
that's the Catholic priest that I saw in my dream. And so he tells the Catholic priest, they get an exorcist, they come over and fully delivered. And so he became Catholic. And so, um, and actually the demons will even mock Protestant pastors. Like, who are you? (laughs) I don't know you. And this is actually very, uh, right in, right in the Bible. Acts 19 verses 13 and 15 through 16. This is what it says. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name, uh, by, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Then it says this in verse, starting in verse 15, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them. And so we see here very clearly that the demon responded only to the authority of Jesus in the person in the office that has an authority, which is an apostle. And bishops are the accessors of the apostles and bishops can delegate their priestly powers to priests, but also their power. um, And I don't want to make it sound like a superpower, but their, their authority to have that special charism of doing um, exorcisms in cases of full-on possession. Because Jesus I know, Paul I know, this bishop I know, this, this exorcism I know, but who are you? And so we have to uh, be, we see the power of the Catholic Church. We see the power of the reality of the authority of the Catholic faith in this to destroy the works of the devil, just as Jesus did, the church does. And also within those uh, possessions, you know who shows up a lot and destroys the the works of the devil is Our Lady, is Mama Mary. Uh, there's stories of possessions taking place, and um, they start calling on Our Lady, and the demon will always react. They'll they'll mock people, they'll say blasphemous things, and when saints come, they're like, no, like no, not them, not them. And when Our Lady comes, the the evil one literally will be scared, and like no, not her, do not send her. Make like make her go back, make her go away. And there's a story about how Mary appeared at the end of this bed, and all she did was just drop one little tear from her eye, and fully healed, fully delivered of this demonic dep- uh, uh, possession. So, uh, very real. And why does why is Mama Mary so powerful? Because she's merely a creature, right? She's not God. She is a human being, full on. You know, Jesus is fully God, fully man, and but Our Lady is fully woman. <laughs> And yet she's filled with divine life from her very first beginning. And she is that promised woman woman of Genesis 3.15 that has enmity between the woman and the serpent. The devil can't touch her. And we even see this in the book of Revelation that Mary, she's caught up in, she's caught up, uh, in God's uh, plan and the dragon can't touch her. So what does the dragon, the serpent, the devil do? That says that they go and to after her children they go after the satan and satan and fallen angels go after us so that's why as another reason just another list of plethora of reasons why we turn to our lady as brothers and sisters in the lord because you're fully saved by jesus and the devil can't stand you that's why we say hail mary full of grace punch the devil in the face because mama mary does not play that because she does the works of Jesus, uh, Jesus does the works of, through her um, and through all of us, obviously. But that's why we all need each other. And that's why we need Mama Mary because she don't play that. And as we said before, 
God is infinitely greater than than Satan, but Satan is an angel. And who guess who else is our angels? Our angels that God gives us, like our guardian angels, but also the ones that are revealed in Scripture. These very high archangels: Raphael, Gabriel, and Michael. And Michael, throughout Scripture, is shown as the angel of battle. And in the Book of Revelation, he's shown as that as well. So that's why. Um, the, and it's actually a very interesting story. We won't get into it here, but the Pope had a vision, I think it was in the early 1900s, of the reality of the demonic and how we need to call on angels. And that's where the St. Michael the Archangel uh, prayer really developed. That we say, after Mass typically, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. And so that's why we call on all the angels and saints. That's why we call on St. Michael. That's why we call on Mama Mary. And that's why we call on each other. And that's why we need the body of Christ. Because we are fully in communion in the body of Christ. And we all, just like Mama Mary, shouldn't play that. But also, we just talked about possessions. But there's also demonic oppression. Like people just feel totally uh, lied to, discouraged, beaten down, shame. Like all those things are demonic oppression. Like what we talked about, his tactics and everything today, that's demonic oppression. But we've also seen in prayer ministry, demonic manifestations. Prayed with a a woman before and she started manifesting and she went and threw up. That is something that typically only happens when there's demonic manifestations. I've heard of people um, during a, a healing service or worship, people start manifesting. Like people be on the ground slithering. A woman, uh, you know, a person will be screaming at the top of their lungs. A person will be fully stiff um, at our, the latest healing service just a couple weeks ago at Notre Dame. We had a man that tensed fully up during healing prayer. He stood up and he could, and like he was rock solid, like very stiff. Um, Maybe I shouldn't say rock solid, but he was like very, very stiff and obviously not comfortable. That was a demonic manifestation. I've heard of another good friend of mine. He is praying and uh, with this woman. And she had a tight shirt on so you could kind of see, like, you know, the layout of her body. And something, like, her back moved in a way that's not supposed to move. Like, that's demonic manifestations. And so, demonic manifestations, demonic oppression, in the name of Jesus, uh, we can cast out demons. But full-on possessions is the power and the authority of the Catholic Church because it is the body, the bride, the kingdom of Christ. It is Jesus being united to him. We are one spirit, one flesh with him. And the successor of the apostles have that because the demons, Jesus, they know, Paul, they know, every single bishop, they know. And so to conclude this episode on uh, Satan is to put him in his proper place because we have to see um, his, every single thing that we talked about, his identity, his motives, strategies, tactics, his goal. And like, we have to understand him to understand this broken world, what goes on in our spiritual lives to know these, these weapons that get thrown of us so that we can, we can be on guard and also to know the, really the works of Jesus. He took on human flesh to destroy the devil and his works, which is sin and death. And so, um, it's really a central part of the gospel. As JP two said, if you do not believe in the devil, then you do not believe in the gospel. And so, just let's go back to the gospel. This is the gospel. God created you, created you out of perfect love. He calls all of his creation good. 
but he says you are very good he created you to share perfectly in communion and god who is who is love and with each other to be united in love and truth and yet this fallen creature this angel of god named satan the accuser or devil the divider he is the ruler and god of this world the prince of the powers out of envy of god's plan for you he deceived us in order to enslave and degrade our dignity that's in the image of god he accuses divides lies tempts discourages and flatters us through his envy and our being deceived we were sold under the power of sin sin invaded and reigned over us to the point where in our broken humanity we do the very things that we don't want to do and we don't do the things that we want and this power of sin leads to death and so the reign of death spread to all of us so we are under that dominion and captivity of sin and death and yet out of unfathomable love for us jesus took on humanity on our human flesh that very flesh that is made in the image of god and has been uh destroyed by the image of god and us has been destroyed by the works of the devil he took on our human flesh to invade and to go to war with the kingdom of sin and death and to destroy the works of the devil and to set all of us free who are oppressed by the devil. Jesus is the Redeemer, the one who goes to ransom a family member who has been taken captive by an enemy. Jesus triumphed over this enemy. He transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. He made impotent the power of sin. He destroyed the power of death, canceled our debt. He's recreated us, given us access to the Father. He's given us authority over the enemy. He sent us on mission and he divinizes us. God has made us family. We need to repent and put our faith and trust in Jesus. We cling to and love Jesus who rescued us, rescued you. And detach. we have to detach ourselves from things that we would put above the love of God. We have to renew our mind, which is the essence of repentance, to change our mind. We enter into this victory to receive God's Holy Spirit, to be united in the family of God, the church, through baptism. After each, each of these uh, events in the Bibles, these rescue, op- these rescue missions out of the Bible, God instructs his people to have a meal, to celebrate, but also to make that very victor- victorious, uh, that victory present. And so Jesus does the same thing. The night before he enters into his passion, death, and resurrection, his victory, he instructs all of us to eat this meal of the sacred family bond of the new covenant in the Eucharist that makes this event very present. And yet he sends us out with his power to go on mission, to be agents of resistance against the again resistance and sabotage against the works and the lies of the devil, the flesh, the world. And we are called to be agents of reconciliation, recreation, healing, restoration, and ambassadors ambassadors of Jesus. So today, we are not afraid because we know who the enemy is. And Jesus triumphs over him. We don't talk to the devil. We don't talk to the fallen demons. We turn to and cling and love Jesus. We remain watchful, and we continue to renew our minds to be rooted in God's word, to be rooted in the sacraments, to be rooted in truth. And that is, by by, by the way, uh, possessions. People get that way because they're not a part of. They they obviously um, open up uh, a door for the devil to enter, but they were not frequenting confession, the Eucharist, these are the main ways to to not have the works of the devil in our life is repentance, renewal of the mind, prayer, the sacraments, 
Jesus has given us everything, his divine life, so that we too can trample over the works of the devil. 